Hey, everyone. Uh, we just wanted to jump out ahead of this episode to discuss our support of the Black Lives Matter movement and denounce the horrific police brutality occurring all over the country. Over the next couple of weeks, the episodes that you're about to listen to were recorded before the death of George Floyd and protesting that took place in response, and we would be remiss to remain silent. This is something we're deeply moved by and wanted to do our part in keeping the focus on what matters. The heart-rending problem of systemic racism is deeply ingrained in our country, and the struggle for systemic racial equality is fought by so few. Events as horrific as the deaths of Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Sandra Bland, and most recently the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd have sparked the passion we are seeing sweep the country. This passion is not new as we recall the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, and now present in the Black Lives Matter movement. Here, we want to collectively throw our support towards the peaceful protesters, the organizers, and everyone leading the charge with the Black Lives Matter movement. We recognize that our podcast is an escape, and thank you for spending your time with us. However, there are far more important voices that deserve your attention, too. So we wanted to share those resources and provide a path to those voices, which will be linked in the show notes. True justice can only be achieved when individuals act justly. It is with this in mind that we share these resources on why systemic racism continues to persist in the fabric of our society and to learn what we can do to help. It's not enough to not be racist. We have to be actively anti-racist and to do our part to squelch the hate. Every little bit we do will create a path towards a future where we all share the most basic fundamental right of equality and safety. For your future listeners, please consider looking through the resources available so this moment goes beyond a single point in history and transforms to the new norms of racial equality. Thank you for your time and enjoy this week's episode of MCU Need to Know. to a new episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. And I'm Jude. God. And I'm Jude. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I am not sure. Uh, I am um, not. One of those days? <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, man. <sighs> You know, usually you, you open up with asking me how I'm doing. I, I want to go out and jump ahead. How are you doing? Are you all right? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, as we were talking before this started, uh, a new mm-hmm. kind of fitness program. Little little sore, a little tired, um, but I'm enjoying it. It's it's working. It's working well. That's good. That's really good. Uh, and finding one that you enjoy is always like a hard fine but once you find it that momentum gets so much easier to k- stick with yeah well it's nice it has these they they send a meal plan mm-hmm. and then they send the unpublished youtube video links for the workout for every day that's like a 20 oh, that's really cool yeah so it's like a 20 25 to 30 minute workout depending on what you're what you're doing huh. you know screen share the phone to the tv and do our workout it's so it, it, it's nice. Man, having those guided workouts is really like a game changer. Oh, yeah. Because um, yeah. I've been I've been running uh, for almost a year now, but it's been like just free form, like just me going out there and like today I'm going to do, you know, three miles or five miles. 
but I found an app that lets me like, like it has a coach that will chime in on mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. to keep pace. And it's really, it's been the difference maker. Oh, it's a huge, huge difference maker. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I've thought about doing a podcast for, for a while, uh, but I knew I needed a partner uh-huh. in crime to help keep me accountable. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's been good guys. I, I, it's been this kind of like push and pull where I think we keep both each other in check and, uh, I've been really happy with the progress so far. Yeah, me too. Me too. Which I will say, I'm going to pull back the curtains a little bit here. Um, people may know this or they may not know this just depending on context clues, listening into the episodes. But we're we're a couple of weeks ahead of what people are listening to. Uh-huh. And so last week, we just released the episode where the question of the week was like, uh, what are your biggest MCU pet peeves? Right. And I mentioned mine was the fact that I don't like when people like retroactively try to connect things that weren't there, such as Peter Parker being an Iron Man 2. And of course, you and I, we already discussed it. You, we, we, you know, you're a fan of it. I'm not. But what was so funny is now that we're posting these snippets on social media, I posted it on our MCU Need to Know account, and then I retweeted it with my personal account. And the two responses I got, I don't think they actually listened to the clip because they were both in support of the idea that I believe that Peter Parker should be an Iron Man too. <laughs> <laughs> Because I believe one person was like, dude, just let whatever your fan canon uh, be whatever it wants to be, man. Just enjoy things. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, <laughs> well maybe they're going to listen to this and then go back and, and change it. I hope so. At first I was wondering, like, man, should I say this on the podcast? But this will be like a little check to see if they're listening. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know who you are out there. <laughs> But, uh, and we appreciate you interacting. Very much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice save. Um, but regardless, we uh, if you don't know what we're doing, we have been doing a rewatch of the Marvel Netflix series Daredevil. Uh, we've been doing this in lieu of a Black Widow movie that got pushed back to November. And today we are on a ep- episode seven of season one. And uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. I was in episode seven. I thought it was six. I believe it is seven. <laughs> we can do a quick oh, fact wow. check if we need to. I'm almost positive it is seven. seven. It is seven. I wrote down <laughs> six. Okay. Well, you know what? Here's another thing. I think we need to like figure out definitively. Then this is my own fault because we have, I think technically this is episode eight of the podcast feed if we count the bonus. Right. But that's getting really weird to keep track of. I want to just definitively say this is episode seven. And then oh, the, the bonus is just the bonus. Yes. Okay. So we'll just start referring to... The, the, the pilot or the bonus and then there you go episode seven of the podcast okay good because that was making posting stuff on social media so much harder <laughs> okay the well and i was one it's, it's starting to make naming files difficult so <laughs> man it was uh it's like we got the time stone and just snapped away so, with time yeah okay um well, that's what it's there for <laughs> So we open up with this cold open where this man is running down a stairwell. He's clearly afraid and running for his life. Uh, eventually, he gets to this point where he is cornered by a mysterious man who has him, um, you know, at, at held up with a sword. And he begins interrogating from information about something called the black sky. Uh, after this man gets what he wants but doesn't seem satisfied he does kill the man and the scene ends revealing that it is an elderly blind man who is the attacker yeah i liked i liked the the tension they built here because at this point it could have been daredevil it could have been 
Well, it could have been Wesley. You know, I mean, it, <laughs> hey, he's he's retrieving he's retrieving Our, guns from pinball machines. It could have been Wesley. Man, if we find out that Wesley is a sword wielder, I don't think this podcast can contain our love for him. <laughs> he would just be the like the ultimate badass. So, but yeah, I I mean, at this point, I loved it in the the tension building because you didn't know who it was. Um, and I feel like they did a good job. I gave you just enough information of introducing this new character. Uh, you know, you didn't see much. He used a sword. We haven't seen sword use yet. You saw a quick close up of the staff, you know, and then and then you get the reveal of uh, the blind uh, eyes. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about this off podcast. Um, I, I wasn't overly fond of this episode, but. I do think that it does a really incredible job of setting everything up, like you said. It kind of like harkens back to how economical it's been, you know, in previous episodes. You know, we get introduced to Black Sky, uh, this mysterious man, and we learn about who this man is and his decision making all before we even get to the title sequence. Right. And, And this is an episode where they're filling out matt's backstory mm-hmm. right i mean because we got the backstory with his dad um and they did it through flashbacks and they're doing the same thing with his episode but here uh as well as we get through this we're getting his training um which he never really got from his dad mm-hmm. um so yeah so it's i don't want to call it a filler episode because i mean i didn't enjoy the episode i think more than you did mm-hmm. but it's definitely you know let's fill flesh out our character we can dive into it a little bit more as we get into it, but I think my initial feeling is that it did kind of feel weird that we're getting this detour, like right off the back of last week's episode, which I, you know, talked about how much I loved last time. So I think I think maybe there's some expectations on my part that weren't filled, mm-hmm. and that could be factoring into my uh, disappointment a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, you, if we go with what you've been saying, that A, B cadence... Mm-hmm. And if that last episode was the B of it and we have that closure between, you know, of those of those two episode little arcs, I can see why they they were able to pivot into into this um, flashback mm-hmm. type of episode. Now, I did want to bring this up. Uh, we, we talked a little bit this before we jumped into the recording, uh, and it's something that neither of us could confirm. So if you're on social media and would like to clear this up, um, you know, I've talked about how I don't have extensive comic knowledge of these marvel characters but i do know that there is a faction called the hand that uh, that daredevil frequently goes up against i want to know is it was it a reference to have this man lose his hand to that notion um i don't think so wait wait which who lost his hand the the japanese man that stick uh the japanese man okay because in my head i'm just picturing him being dead with the blood (laughs) with the blood splatter Uh, um so so yeah uh i don't know if it if it was a reference to the hand it you know honestly thinking it through uh it probably is Uh actually because he he made he made a specific point about like you know losing your appendages and then i don't know i just it was interesting the way they focused in on that hand it it felt like it was a call up yeah i i'd have to agree Mm -hmm. with you actually yeah i thought that was a little interesting tidbit yeah 
So that leads into the title sequence, which afterwards we are joined with Foggy, Karen, and Matt back at their offices. And Foggy is lamenting the deeds of Daredevil and you know calling him a coward and, and talking about how he's doing all these terrible things. And it leads to a discussion among the three of them about the judge of Daredevil's character. Yeah, I like that uh, Matt tried to stay out of it. You know, I mean, I mean, you had Karen defending Foggy, taking down the character of uh, Daredevil. Um, but like when Karen asked, she he made this joke about, yes, Foggy will pitch for the Mets, you know, because uh, the Mets are bad or, or something along those lines. And he, he always tried to distract it from Daredevil mm-hmm. and go to the action. You know, if we kind of go back to that idea uh with that discussion that Matt and Father Latham had about how unfair it is to have to bear the burden of knowledge but not be able to say anything, it's it's got to be so hard for Matt to have to stomach this conversation. Oh yeah, you know, to have like his his best friend just tearing him down and the work that he's been doing without even realizing it. Um, R- right, especially from Foggy. Yeah, right. Because I mean that that's you know who who else does he trust more in the world than Foggy? Um, you know, we've seen examples of superheroes juggling this balance between personal life and vigilante life, but coming off last episode, uh, where he's already doubting his convictions, uh, it's, I don't know, I felt the weight of this more than I have in other variations we've seen of this, um, scenario. He gives a very stereotypical lawyer-esque answer when Matt asks, or no, when Foggy asks, are you mad about this guy in the mask doing these things? And Matt says, yeah, I'm mad that you got hurt. Miss Cardenas got hurt and, and all these people got hurt. He didn't say I'm mad that the guy in the black mask did this. Right. Um, and he even said, yes, it's his right to a defense and we would defend him um, to, to see the truth come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and to me, you could just see it on his face as well of like, almost this cringe on his face and having to defend himself. And in particular, he's starting to see the beginnings of what Kingpin said would happen or what he would make happen Mm -hmm. as far as the city turning on him. Oh yeah. And I mean, to, we see that ripple effect continuously through this episode. I mean, peeking ahead a little bit, uh, you know, Ben and Karen have a conversation uh, about the man in the black mask character as well. So it's, it's that ripple effect is is still felt from last week. Right. And I mean, then the fact that like he's doing all this while we don't learn this until the scene ends, he's doing all this while still investigating the information about Leland. Yeah. I do want to say, we, you know, we talked about in, I believe, episode two, where you mentioned something like who is foggy to judge the character of the city when he doesn't know what his best friend's doing at night. Uh-huh, it, uh-huh. It's it's so funny that they have this conversation about like, hey, do you feel like Karen has secrets to, to Matt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that irony was just, it was very delectable. Yeah. Well, and his, yeah, and his answer, we all have secrets. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I'd like some. <laughs> hmm. Next, we see in a parking garage, there's Leland uh, confronting Nobu uh, about money in their business deal. So the thing I think I like about this scene is how it's kind of showing the slow burn of infighting within the Union Allied group. I I don't remember exactly how all of this is going to play out, but the last time we saw them all together, um, you know, Fisk makes this big sentiment about how a rising tide raises all ships. Mm -hmm. and 
here we get Leland who is clearly afraid and and is trying to kind of like make sure he's protected by joining up with Nobu and even even Nobu's response is in direct contrast to what Fisk said you know he says something like um every man needs to be able to stand for themselves or they'll fall to the unworthy and it's just it's it's interesting to me that we're starting to see cracks form within that group i think i love the most about this scene is just how much leland is unimpressed with being all secretive <laughs> he's like yeah no, 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 blah 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 <laughs> he just he's so like it's all about business and he's just so unimpressed with all of this you know, it's really funny you say that because my other note is Leland reminds me of Droopy Dog. And I don't know why. <laughs> just matter of fact and doesn't care. It's just moving along. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because you have, he does it well, I guess, because he has that. And as you mentioned, he does realize oh, I got to also take care of myself. Mm-hmm. He reached out to Nobu. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think rightfully so. Because seeing where things are going and what happened with the Russians, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very clearly because he said what happened to the Russians could happen to us. I I think that's the, the quote. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it, it's interesting to see that fear kind of breaking, um, breaking through to them. Now, at this point, Nobu leaves and Daredevil shows up. You know, I think this is the like maybe third or fourth interrogation we've seen Daredevil do. And it's always so funny to me how the people that are being interrogated think they can lie and get away with it. Like, of course, they don't know that he has that ability. Right. But it's so funny that he always has to like, it's almost like like a parent <laughs> speaking to a child like, okay, now think about your answer and tell me the truth. <laughs> what I find interesting is we've seen Daredevil do pretty amazing things. And I even wrote it down. Like, that seemed very easy for Leland to take him down. Mm-hmm. Now, I get that he got distracted. You had the cane walking up, and essentially we find out that person that distracted him was Stick. But I don't know. He's done. He seemed not on his A game that night. Right. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I wrote here in my notes, I have a question for you. Do you think Matt got caught off guard because he let his guard down enough to be scared by the noise? Or is Matt caught off guard because he recognizes Stick's tapping pattern and hasn't seen him in so long? That was the only way I could reconcile him being taken down so easily is that like he immediately has this sense he knows who it is. And it's yeah, been I want to so say it's the former because otherwise it doesn't make sense. You know, uh, I mean, I guess you could mm-hmm. say he was caught off guard because he wasn't expecting anybody else. Um, I just feel like for where the story in this episode goes, it makes more sense to say he realized who it was right away. So after Leland gets away and leaves Matt tased on the floor, we do get a flashback with younger Matt, who is still dealing with the newfound sensory overload that he has. And we get introduced to this character by the name of Stick, who takes Matt under his wing, and they have a very blunt conversation about how Matt can move forward with what Stick perceives as gifts that he's been given. Right. What I found interesting, you asked, in and I forgot which episode, about his abilities. This seems to imply that they were enhanced by the chemicals. Mm-hmm. Did you get that? I would say so, because I think Stick has a line where he says, they think you're getting worse, you're getting stronger. Right. And he, like, flicks his keys at him, and, like, the way Matt's hand kind of, like, quickly reaches up, it felt, not supernatural, but it felt enhanced. It did. It did. 
They did. And what and what's interesting is I think in the original 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 Daredevil comes out, it was enhanced. Whereas in the Frank Miller Man Without Fear miniseries, it wasn't enhanced. It was something taught. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me where they're taking basically both of those origins and kind of piecing them together here. Yeah, it's a nice fusion of the two, uh, I guess, philosophies. Right. I, I mentioned off podcast, uh, and I think I've mentioned a little bit already that how I wasn't overly fond of this episode. Um, a lot of what didn't work for me, I think, is Stick as the character who is a lot of the attention. Um. You know, we we get this back and forth scene where they're on the bench discussing, um, you know, how Matt should be fortunate that, you know, he didn't die and he needs to be this realist. I like the idea that in the absence of Matt's, you know, Matt having a caring father figure, he ends up with this hard-boiled cynic who is willing to take him under his wing if he hardens up and becomes a realist. Um, We saw the way Jack was supportive and encouraging, and now that it's gone, it feels natural that Matt would want to harden up. Uh, I think the problem and why this episode doesn't work for me overall is like there's no redeemable aspect to stick. And that's where I start to have issues with him. One of the things I liked about this scene here is seeing stick, showing him the possibilities, you know, and describing the ice cream, the dog, the girl, the man on the bench, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing those possibilities. Also, I think what kind of brought Matt in or Matt decided or little Matt decided this is who I'm going to follow and this is what I want. I think he saw his dad there like, hey, this is someone who wants me to be tough. He wants me to be a fighter. My dad was tough. My dad was a fighter. And so I think I think little Matt, I don't hate, hate to use didn't know any better, but I think that he latched on to that. So that's to me what I got out of that interaction. I like that you frame it like not not that he didn't know any better, but that he latched on. I think that's where it starts to feel manipulative to me. Like we've already seen who stick is as a person from the opening because he ruthlessly murders that person in the cold open. Yes. And so as they're trying to like play out this, like, okay, sticks this very edgy person, but maybe deep down, he is this person that does care about Matt. And that just kind of, it conflicted for me. And that's why it didn't work. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I can see why it- I, I fully recognize that this is me nitpicking, but I want to I want to go ahead and say it, especially like the the way that stick speaks a lot. It's it's like hearing the words of an edgy teenager spoken through an older man. And that's I, I don't know. I didn't like a lot of his dialogue. <laughs> oh, but that's that's so funny. Maybe that's why I'm used to it. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm used to it. <laughs> it just didn't feel natural to me. Okay. <laughs> so during this conversation, you know, it started where Stick was telling him not to ask any questions. Um, and I like how Matt, um, he has this keepsake. He like keeps the wrapper from the ice cream, uh, which was, you know, they, they gave a close up of that. They really focused in on that. And, and so in that moment, it's something a little kid would do, you know, to mark that moment. In the end, Stick did allow a question. Uh, Matt asked, you know, what's your name? And that transitioned us in to the present where Daredevil in the parking garage says Stick, where while we've been saying his name, we finally get his name revealed. Um, and he gives the line, been gone 20 years. Um, so we know that Matt was trained, mm-hmm. uh, but at least 
we get the sense that it didn't go well. Yeah. After that, we do get a new scene where Karen and Ben are having a meeting in a car discussing all they can about the case and what they know so far. Karen is clearly frustrated, and Ben just kind of straight up tells her, like, hey, this is part of the job. Uh, we're going to run into a lot of dead ends, and it's super frustrating, but, you know, we still got to carry on. The main turning point for me in this scene is when Ben says that if she sees the man in the black mass, she should run the other way. And he reveals that in his experience, he believes there are no heroes or villains, just people with different agendas. And to me, a lot of the scene that included was trying to keep that gritty, real, I hate to say, I hate to associate gritty with realism, but that gritty feel. Because uh, she even had that line, you know, oh, this is a long shot. I'm, I was a mean three-point shooter and I liked the long shot. This is a very typical line for that moment. Mm-hmm. And he shot it down. You know, I mean, for a show, it's a very typical line for that moment. And then he shot it down very quickly. This isn't a game, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, to kind of, I guess, keep that gritty feel. Yeah. I mean, because one of the notes I wrote down is that, you know, it's no secret. I really enjoy Ben as a character. And Von D. Curtis Hall, who plays Ben, does such an amazing job of, like, telegraphing the weight of a life lived. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because in the scene where Karen starts questioning uh, the shooting, Ben starts opening up about how he was standing right there when Blake got shot. And, you know, for majority of it, like you said, he's kind of being steadfast. He's shooting it down and trying to keep things realistic. But in this brief window, we get to see him open up about how traumatizing this whole situation's been. And, you know, he doesn't say it directly, but the way he delivers his line and relays information, it's it feels like this feeling of being tired of being this close to danger. Right. I, okay. I had an issue with that. Um, so Blake's in a coma. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, and I'll, I guess I'll have to keep track. I don't remember if he wakes up. To be honest, why not? I mean, as a creators, why not kill Blake? Mm-hmm. I mean, unless there's something I don't remember, he shows up again. Mm-hmm. You know, because even Ben has the line. Maybe that's some foreshadowing. You know, if he wakes up, maybe he'll tell us something. I don't know. I, I just thought that here's a place you should kill him. Yeah, because what really does he have to offer? I mean, he I mean, if he wakes up, he knows it's not the man in the black mask because he knows where he is and he knows in relation to where he got shot. But there's an element of heroicism maybe for Ben because he he was there, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe that's what they're trying to get across. But at at this time, I'm like, it's supposed to be a darker, gritty show. Mm -hmm. Raise the stakes. Have that guy die. I do want to say, uh. One of my takeaways from this scene is that I don't know if maybe this is me having a bad read, but there was this like weird shot in the middle of it. (laughs) I was just about to bring that up. (laughs) Yeah, where it's like the camera looks like it's leaning out from behind a dumpster in the middle of the scene, you know, staring at the car that Ben and Karen are in. And then after they have the discussion, the camera, it feels like the camera kind of like leans back into hiding. And I think we're supposed to infer that they're being watched. But yeah. uh, it it felt so poorly telegraphed. Well, okay. Not only that, you they had some audio cues. Really, right? I like, didn't catch like, those. Well, like well, like even in the audio, I think there was it. It felt like somebody was moving around the way they mm-hmm. did the audio. Um, and then they cut back as he's driving off, and and you kind of feel like it goes with the car. You know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think in this episode. At least in this episode, it never showed us who's watching. Yeah. Um, I'm, and if nobody was watching, 
I don't understand the point. Yeah. What's the point of that shot? (laughs) Well, you know, I, I said in my notes, I think we're supposed to be inferred. We're supposed to infer that this, this leads to the confrontation that Karen gets into later, which we will get to, but I don't know. It was just, it was really out of place. And I think it's like, it's so jarring because correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is the first time we see the camera be a character. Uh, and that was what was so. weird. Yeah. And, and the other thing, like you could have, you could have easily shown one of those guys that we're talking about mm-hmm. later. Um, you know, unless it was something where it, it hit the editing room floor, you know? Um, uh, yeah. You know, but it, it just, yeah, it was, it was very unsatisfying. To, to be left with that that it just it felt out of place mm-hmm. and you know if they would have just left the one in the middle i think i would have been okay because i didn't it didn't like ping in my brain until the last one the last one is the one that really solidified like okay that's out of place yes so after ben and karen's conversation in the car we do arrive at matt's apartment where stick is immediately beginning to verbally tear it apart uh, Stick launches into this idea that Matt's grown soft by having luxuries and relationships, and Stick iterates that he really needs to cut ties with all the comforts that he has in order to prepare himself for what needs to be done. Right. Is this the scene where, okay, we're about to transition out. So this is the scene where Matt throws a punch, right? And he gets his arm uh, twisted. Yes. Okay, and what line he said? He said something about his dad, right? And and the only way, as I can't remember what the line was, and the only way I'm saying that is it. Yeah, I remember. Okay, what was it? So he's provoking Matt, and he is like, um, you know, at least when your father got hit, he got paid, unlike you, or something like that. Like it was something where he invoked yeah, that his yeah. father taking money for falling. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the only way I'm bringing that up is it re- is I my note. Reminds me of the training scene in Batman Begins on the Ice, where Ra's al Ghul invoked his dad. It was like, it was his fault, you know, uh, in, in part of that training. Yeah, it's so funny how I don't how know why. Many... <laughs> it just did. Yeah, I, I find it so interesting how many parallels we've been drawing from the Nolan Batman universe in this Daredevil run. It could be that they try to take a kind of a gritty, realistic look. Um, as realistic as possible, you know, with, with um, these comic book characters, that's probably part of it. And most characters, male characters, have some kind of dad issue uh, as well, you know. And so it's probably easy between that, you know, we talked about in the other podcast, the hero's journey and the story circle It's probably because of all mixture of all those things. It's easy to find those, especially when they're so well done. Mm hmm. You know, um, when they're not well done, mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit harder to to make those comparisons. You know, I, I, I'm i trying my best not to just continuously nag on this episode, especially because I don't want the bulk of my criticism to come off how much I enjoyed the last episode. But I, it, I think there was a potential for this episode to be really effective from mm-hmm. picking up where they left off. Uh, you know, I talked a bunch about how Matt ends up leaving the last episode with this nagging question about whether or not Vladimir is right. So, you know, having stick here to reinforce Matt being at his lowest and needing to cut himself off from others is good on paper. But instead of giving us any choices for Matt to make about whether he believes Vladimir is right or resolving to stay true to his morals, you know, we see 
stick guide this episode instead. So instead of it being like this litmus test for, you know, where Matt's at with his morals and no death code, it becomes a repeated attempt of the same, you know, you have to kill to win. You know, the only way to be effective is, is the you know, I, I don't think this is the scene where he says no half measures. It's basically crossing that line of... No, we haven't. I don't think... I think we get a flashback before we get to the half measure scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd have to disagree because I think in a couple of scenes when they go work together, mm-hmm. that's where he's put to this test. Okay. You know, so like, so like here in this scene, you know, if it's the Matt is kind of sucked in by, you got to be tough. You got to be a fighter, see him as his dad. And then we know when we come back from the flashback, it's been 20 years, so it didn't go well. In mm-hmm. here, we get this, you become soft, look at all these things, you have this soft life, cut everything loose. I think Matt's kind of seen through that uh, toughness that Stick is trying to portray and, and says, no, this is not the life that I want. Mm-hmm. Or I, another way to put it is just to say, you know, the toughness that his dad had and the toughness that Stick had were not um, the same kind of toughness. And I, and little Matt, I don't think, could recognize that now. But grown-up Matt um, is recognizing that. I do like that. Uh, that uh, Showing the differences in the, I guess, um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Machismo is what's coming to mind. But I, I don't think that is exactly what I'm looking for. But like illustrating the difference between the character of Jack and the character of Stick. Um, no, Machismo, I think, works because, I mean, you have that, what does it mean to be um, male? What does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be tough? Mm-hmm. Clearly, Jax was, I'm a fighter. I'm going to love my son and do what's right for my family um, or the best I can. You know, we can question whether or not he was doing was right uh, by throwing fights and, and all these other things. But you have that, put it up against a very warrior mentality mm-hmm. but a warrior mentality not in a in a in a good positive energy or good positive direction so to speak i do i do want to push back a little bit more but i'll save it for when we get to where they work together okay um okay. i think i can illustrate a little bit m- more where i have my issues about how it feels more stick driven than matt driven okay but i do want to say uh, I mean, the episode's called stick but okay. <laughs> uh, I do want to say on your part that it was a nice catch all the way back in episode two, uh, where you pointed out that Matt knew the gunshot was his father's because in this scene, we get that flashback where Matt young Matt's on the floor crying and he's basically saying, you know, it's my fault. It's my fault that he died. You know, he was paid to lose and he won because I wanted him to. And so I think that clearly on in text shows that Matt definitely, had that weighing on his conscience in the beginning. Yeah, I like that they were able to pull that thread, um, and then and you held on to that. You pulled that thread all the way through from him catching that gunshot in episode two to to finally breaking down during that training session um, and saying it was my fault. You know, it also kind of mirrored that previous uh, scene, right? We mentioned how he was provoked by uh, what Stick said about his dad and Matt threw the punch and they kind of stopped him and put him in that arm lock, which transitioned us into that flashback, mm-hmm. which was a nice uh, transition right there. 
Yeah, that's a good catch on the whole the because obviously the we I got the provoking and the present, but in a way he was provoking Matt because Stick was incredibly cold about the way he was like, well, your father's not here now. There's only you know, he was just cold about the fact that he needed to move on from that. So I I didn't pick up on that provocation too. Yeah, well, I mean, little Matt said Murdoch's never quit, uh, and Stick's response, you know, then beat me. There's an element of weirdness as much. Now you're, you're pulling me to your side. There's an element of weirdness because this is, you know, an adult and a little kid. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, then beat me. Um, and little Matt became very agile very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah, it did stand out a little bit to me, but I didn't want to knock it too much because it was like, you know, he's a younger actor. But it, it, it was funny how he just kind of like really went into those kicks and twirls and everything. Yeah. You know, and I did like how that scene ended. Um, where he said, you know, maybe your old man fought for you, maybe did it for him. We'll never know. Um, but it's time to stop taking a beating and giving one, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a really interesting because everything he got from his dad was, you know, uh, don't get up. No, um, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, meta. Um, I know everything he said, everything he said got from his dad was about getting Mm -hmm. back up. Right. Which kind of enforced this taking a beating mm-hmm. right um and and to kind of flip that on his head here in this training um i really liked that part of the scene and you know you talk about how the way they transition from present into past and then it transitions back to the present where matt has learned how to get out of that pen um you know i i, I mentioned and we're, we're kind of having this debate about how they handled stick and i talked about how i didn't like that there was little to redeem them. If there was any moment where I said they serviced that a little bit, I think it would be right here. Um, you know, after Matt gets out of the pen, they start having this friendly, friendly esque conversation where, I mean, stick is like, Hey, you got any beer? And Matt's like, yeah, it's in the fridge. And so it feels more genuine to me. And it's not like uh, the manipulative one that we keep seeing on screen uh, in these flashbacks. Right. And I'm wondering you know, what? what's interesting is, you know, Stick backs down after seeing that, like, okay, Matt's gotten a little bit better. Um, and then he transitions to business, you know, to, to, to try to get him to work together. And I loved, I loved that moment Matt realized Stick wanted his help, mm-hmm. you know, and Stick tried to stay away from it. You know, his line was like, no, I'm trying to help you. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, <laughs> it's it's almost like the 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 childish like I'm not touching you like he he's just getting right up to the point of asking but he just can't do it right right oh man because I, I think isn't this the scene where like they have that very gratuitous shot of of stick flicking the bottle cap off and it ricochets into the trash can okay I'm gonna read from my notes the bottle cap was a bit much okay I will read from mine. I, because I'm, I'm very, like, we talked about it in the pilot. Like, I don't, I've, as I've gotten older, like, I don't want to be critical in a way that's just, like, constantly negatively talking about something, but I, I feel like I'm doing that, but whatever, I'm going to lean into it. Uh, This is what my note says. I hate the bottle cap scene. I think the way Stick is written is not as cool as they think he is. And this bottle cap scene is the epitome of that. It's like a version of (laughs) Hey Fellow Kids meme where Bushimi is holding a skateboard. I really don't like steak. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I don't think you're supposed to like stick. I don't think you have to like stick. 
Um, I just, I'm with you on the bottle cap. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely with you on the bottle cap. I'm glad we got this common ground. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, I get, like, you have skills the way Daredevil does, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but my thought was, and I didn't drop this down, but my thought honestly was like, you realize for that distance and the number of bounces it took, how hard you would have had to flick that off with your thumb. It, it just didn't. <laughs> yeah. So earlier I made the mistake of mentioning the half measures. Um, and this, this is actually where we get that half measures line. Uh, you know, here's where I'm talking about being less effective version of last episode. Stick iterates that line about half measures and that one day he's going to have to cross that line. You know, we've already examined this, but it could have been so much more effective if we see a version of this where Matt's like, okay, yeah, I'll I'll do whatever it takes. Maybe maybe Vladimir got to him and he's starting to have this resolve, like maybe I do have to kill because, you know, we're going to have this reveal with Black Sky in later scenes. And it would have been, to me, more effective version of this episode if we see this Matt who's kind of fallen back on his morals a little bit is willing to kill, and then he has to make that choice once he realizes what the Black Sky actually is. And instead of that being a choice Matt makes, it feels like Matt's just going along for the ride. I think that's where my issue is, and it's well, not... You, basically, you're saying it would have been a, a stronger point uh, for the for the whole series if Matt was put to a more difficult test of that role. Yes, yes. Instead of feeling like it's just this thing he's going along with and it's Stick's choice, it would have been more effective having it his choice. Which I I will say, and again, why I think I've been so self-conscious about this, is I don't think it's fair to any sort of medium to be like, well, I think it should have been this way instead, like critiquing a version that doesn't exist. But like that's the only only thing that I can feel as I'm, I'm watching these scenes. No, no, no. And, and that makes sense. Uh, I, I think it's fair to think of it in those terms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, like, I always try to keep in the back of my mind, I'm doing the podcast about it and not creating it. <laughs> you, you know, uh-huh. um, like, I'm not getting hired to write these things. But at the same time, you know, you know, uh, as you watch and you're participating with the text, so to speak, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what's what's making a good, good story. You know what's pulling you into the story. And if something's not hitting, you know, especially when it's a um, part of the the morality of this whole thing, you know, I keep coming back to it, is what version of justice? Is it the lawyer justice or the daredevil justice? And Matt's struggling, which is the most effective way to do this? And we've pulled this no-kill thread all the way through. I can see where it's not as satisfying to not put him to as strong of a test as this episode did, mm-hmm. you know, and I do think that's, that's fair. Okay. Well, that makes you yeah. feel a little bit better. I don't know how I would have done it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mainly because, I mean, clearly as we mentioned earlier, you're using this episode to fill out backstory, to get stick in there, to explain how Matt was trained. I mean, I guess you'd have to rewrite this whole episode and maybe the black sky stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, I don't think Black Sky actually ever gets paid off in this season. I was wondering about that because I don't, I, I, cl- I clearly don't remember how this all plays out. But I, I was questioning whether or not that would be something we get to continue on in this season. To make a MCU 
reference. Uh-huh. Um, it feels like it feels like the Thor scene when he goes off in Age of Ultron. I think that's a very great way to look at it because it almost it almost feels like it's this weird detour in the middle of the season we've been watching. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's yeah. well, that's, that's a good comparison. And they try to make some connection to it, right? Like he talked Matt into helping him by saying, you know, Fisk if Fisk knows you beat Black Sky, then Fisk will be scared of you. And so like that, and that was kind of the selling point that talked Matt in, into going. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think which is interesting because it's not dawning on me till now. And think back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode of how Fist talks about all, you know, tide rises all boats, Nobu's, no, we all stand alone. Um, it didn't dawn on me watching it, but Fist has no idea what Black Sky is. There's no way. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, but it took me thinking it through to know that there's no way matt i mean the, the number of times they said they've thrown in our face because matt just now got the name of nobu um stick knows fifth's name and he's how do you know fifth's name and he's like oh there's so much you don't know they, i mean we keep they keep throwing it in our face how much how little matt knows mm-hmm. i wish we would have been keeping a counter on that that would have been fun to keep track of <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that cut of uh star wars where it's like qui-gon jinn is the worst jedi and it's just a super cut of like him falling oh my god Uh, (laughs) that's that's funny um it would be a super cut of everyone just telling matt you don't know what you're talking about uh side note there's a Uh on disney plus you gotta go watch there's a show you gotta watch i'll tell you about it off podcast but it's dave filoni who who Uh basically um, is the Star Wars guy for like Clone Wars and all these other shows mm-hmm. that added a level of depth to Qui-Gon and the Phantom Menace that I didn't realize existed. Like, I, I'm going to go back and rewatch this. Cool. I'll have to check yeah, it out. Back to our MCU. But to yeah. corral it all into the MCU, they've been doing a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff on Disney Plus or Star Wars. Give me that for the Marvel side, please. I oh, want that. Yes, please. Please, please, please. I'm sure once Falcon and the Winter Soldier happens, we will. But man, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Back to the episode. (laughs) Okay. After Matt agrees to carry on with their plan, we get a new scene where Karen arrives at Mrs. Cardinia's apartment with groceries. Uh, They have a conversation where Karen's trying to get information to, to draw some connections between the connection company and the repairmen. And after she's done with that... As she's leaving the apartment, she runs into a confrontation with two shady men. Okay, I'm going to start here just reading right from my notes, and, and I want to see what you, hear, what you say. Okay? Okay. Okay. You have to be kidding me. I get that someone can be interested and the other not know, but I don't buy it the way they shot this. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm assuming you're talking about the the exchange where... Mrs. Cardenas refers to the attractive lawyer and Karen goes, Matt. Yeah. 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 Well, not only that, but like that Karen, honestly, the way it's played out, didn't know Foggy was interested in like trying to date her through, through all this. And, and then, and she has that moment and they kind of play it off where she, where she says, um, Jesus Christ. And, and then, you know, you get, you get Cardenas, Miss Cardenas reaction, but it's just, are you kidding me? 
Yeah. It's, you talked about how, like, it's so frustrating that it shouldn't work, but it works because the actors work really well together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's this, it's this constant butting of heads where the actors are working really well together and then it feels like the writers can't make up their mind about how they want to handle this. Right. And it's just so awkward and clumsy and it, it's something I didn't pick up on on my first watch through. But now as we've had these discussions about how looking back through it with new lenses and how things may not have aged well, it's just it's so I don't know. It bums me out. I, I think it's they're my least favorite scenes now. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't dislike the characters. It, no. It's just the way they have them interact together. Those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, okay, I have another question for you. And this okay. is for the end of the scene. Yeah. Does Foggy have a no-kill code? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you brought that up because in my note, I'm going to read it straight here. Remember how I said it takes a lot to get to the point where you smack someone in the face with a baseball bat? Uh-huh. I guess that doesn't apply to Foggy. <laughs> And I mean, it's just like, there's so many problems here because you, you know, you mentioned how they've, they've taken a very gritty and grounded approach to the darker sides of this show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, I mean, this is a heavy scene. Karen gets attacked. She's cornered and alone and then comes in foggy and then it becomes comical. They have that exchange where they're like, what are you doing? Why were you following me? He's like, I don't know. I was following you because I was worried. And it's like, okay, well then let's leave. Like. It, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It felt slapstick. I don't. It, I don't think that's. It. Is. I'm okay with him showing up. Yeah. In, in, in the following, like, and like, I get that. Um. Well, th- there's elements of where I don't think it worked either. Um. Because mm-hmm. he didn't. You don't get the sense of he had the intent of following her. Because if you go back, and it's been a while, I guess from that from that scene, Karen leaves. And one of them, matter whatever, asks about the mace, and then Matt is, I'm going to stay in and, and work some more, and Foggy asked, do you want me to stay? And Matt says no, so then Foggy leaves. So it wasn't like he was rushing out to follow her either. So yeah. so to pair them up here just seemed like it didn't follow, or are they expecting us to to forget about how that interact how that interaction went? You know what? Now that you frame that, I'm really starting to wonder if you're right about something on the cutting room floor. What if the the awkward camera scene was supposed to be foggy? Maybe, maybe, and maybe maybe there's some there's some scenes that we're missing here that would have clarified that a little bit and made more sense of why foggy. Right, was and there. that would have well, yeah, it would have made sense of why she's following. Why are you going to the dock? Why are this? But that would make foggy way too creepy and a less likable character. Yes. Yes, yes. Maybe that's why. Yeah, if, if I, and again, well, this is speculation on our part, but if we're right, it, I'm glad they cut it. Yeah. If we're right, tag us. If anybody yeah, that's worked please, on the show is please listening, tag us. let us know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point because it, it it already was creepy enough to, to find out that Foggy was following her. I mean it worked out because she needed help, but it's just And what a throw. It's like it's very uncomfortable. He had to throw that unbelievably hard and accurate to hit that guy in the head and knock him down. Like where he's not getting back up immediately. Yeah. 
maybe there's an entire whole side story where Foggy's a superhero and we just haven't seen his show yet. I, I would love to see it. Bring and bring that guy. We said this a number of times. I don't want Charlie Cox recast, and I don't think you can recast Foggy Nelson because it'd be weird. To, it'd be no. too weird. <laughs> that would that that'd be a package deal. Although we've already seen friendships get you know recasted because we had Rhodey and Tony. So it's not like they haven't done it before. Yeah. Yeah. But that was money issues. I don't know with these side <laughs> characters if you're going to have the money issues. I doubt it. You know, I, I do want to uh, say this. Going back to the scene with Karen and Mrs. Cardenas, um, you know, they had that exchange where I can't remember if it was the first time or the second time that Karen either curses or something. And Mrs. Cardenas ha- says, how long have you been like this? And Karen responds, ever since I got to New York. Uh, I know we talked about how they've hinted at a dark past with Karen. Yes. I'm assuming is this line kind of more of a reference to that? Because it felt weird to me, unless you could offer any insight to it. Uh, and if if you're worried about spoilers, that's totally fine, I'm, I'm too. Not like, wor- I'm not worried about spoilers. Honestly, I th- I find that line a little bit more fan service. Uh-huh. Um, knowing how and when they reveal her backstory... Mm-hmm. And now I'm trying to tread lightly because I know you haven't got there yet. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the way they're treating Karen and her, her. I feel like the way they're treating Karen and her backstory in this uh, season, that is mm-hmm. a is more of a fan service line than, like like here we're going to acknowledge it that there's this backstory, you know, again, mm-hmm. uh, but we're not. They don't ever really flesh it out. I don't think. Okay. All right. I, I guess it's one of those rewarding if you if you know the character, otherwise kind of sticks out a little bit. And it could it also maybe I'm just the curtains are blue and and yeah, and, and they're just trying to reinforce that this is a tough city. Yeah. So after that entire exchange between Karen Cardenas, uh Karen and the uh, intruders and Foggy, we do arrive at the docks where Nobu and his men are seeing the arrival of a large shipment. This is where Stick and Matt gather together to carry out their plan and destroy Black Sky. Right. So I'm going to actually come back to you. You said here you were going to kind of push back and reinforce your thought. So it, it's kind of playing off. We got into it a little bit where I talked about how it would have been more effective to see like, okay, Matt's here at his lowest point. He resolves to like, okay, maybe I have to kill. And then we get to this point. Uh, I don't think we've talked about it yet. We get to this point where Black Sky is revealed to be a child. And mm-hmm. cl- clearly that's a very hard line that Matt obviously was never going to cross. Like, I don't think there's ever a point where we believe Matt could have killed this kid. Right. But if we would have been following, like I said, this ideal version of the episode where Matt has been swayed into this idea of, you know, compromising on his morals, I think having this moment would have been more effective because instead the whole crux of the scene is we're seeing Stick um, work with this equipment and the big reveal is that he has constructed this bow and arrow that he uses to aim at the kid. And, I mean, it's a cool scene because Matt does the deflection and keeps the kid from being killed. It just, it, it didn't work for me as much as it would have been if it was Matt's choice. So I think what they were trying to do was, in my note here, Matt risks himself to save the kid, mm-hmm. right? So like, so his job, he goes to thin the herd 
as Styx says. Um, and he's effectively doing that. And while doing that, nobody's noticed them there yet. And Matt, and they give us the visual and audio cue that Matt realizes it's a kid. They get the visual, no, I think just an audio cue where he, he hears the bow and arrow. And nobody realizes they're here yet. So like to to deflect the arrow and make it miss you know, puts himself at risk Mm -hmm. in order to save this kid. And I think that is their way of showing his commitment to this no kill code. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially because, you know, and I don't think we necessarily mentioned this, but while he did get talked into it, uh, he also made stick promise to not kill anybody, Mm -hmm. Um, which that alone, I had my own side things because part of me is like, well, Matt, you're a human lie detector. How'd you know he wasn't lying? Right. Um, but if Stick, well, I mean, it, well, I was gonna say, if Stick doesn't see this kid as a kid and sees him as a weapon, you know, he's not lying to say I'm not gonna kill any person, mm-hmm. right? Well, you know, I was gonna I was gonna push back on this a little bit, um, and and this might be just me saying the same thing, but I think what I ultimately come down here is that we know who Stick is a person. So having this moment about him going to kill the kid, his character's not on trial here. So I guess that's why it was least interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I, you you framing it with this idea that Matt makes the choice here about deflecting the arrow alerts everybody to the fact that they're there, You that that actually sways me a little bit back more onto your side. I didn't read it that way, but once you kind of like walk me through it, I, I can see that being the choice that gets made here. Right. Well, what's interesting is we've had two scenes where we kind of criticized of like, why are you holding our hand through this? Mm-hmm. The the pinball scene with, with Wesley, which I mean, I still love that they had it with the I got next. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wesley and Turk, you know, when, when Wesley, like, we already knew that. Why are you explaining this to us? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because here that I don't know, while I got that read out of that scene, um, I don't know how explicit it was mm-hmm. uh, that, that that's what Matt or, you know, Daredevil did right here. Yeah. You know, in that way, I'd have to agree with you that there could have been a more impactful way or or a, or a larger test um, that they could have put him to to stay committed to that no death, no killing mm-hmm. uh, code. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it's funny, like you said, to to compare about how we criticized it in here. You know, they didn't do that great of a job of leading us. I, there's this this small happy medium, I guess. They got a thread. Mm-hmm. So after everything goes down at the docks, where Matt and Stick have been spotted, uh, in the middle of everything, we get a flashback where Matt, young Matt, and Stick are training. Uh, we've clearly seen how much young Matt has progressed and there's a real connection that's being made. And Matt unfortunately makes the mistake of getting really sentimental to which stick responds by telling him their truth. So yes. Here's a moment where little Matt um, kind of fulfills that attachment he had that kind of drew, drew him in, right. Where, he, where he's seeing mm-hmm. him as his father figure because he gives him, um, I mentioned like it's a keepsake, the rapper from, the ice cream from that first time seeing him like a little kid. I'm going to hold on this uh, kind of to mark the occasion that, or he turns it into a bracelet um, and then stick immediately, which 
what I found interesting because to me, Stick immediately crushes it in his hand. And they're both blind, so Matt couldn't see him do it. But you still had the sense of the emotional force, I think, Mm -hmm. in that action. Oh, yeah. I mean, because for all my issues that I've had, this scene, I mean, it's just incredibly heartbreaking. Like that, especially from the kid, you know, just that silent heartbreak where he's just standing there unable to process what had happened like it's it's amazing the amount of emotional narrative that they're able to derive from this this ice cream wrapper right and you know little matt has no idea you know um and at least at this point it's stick he he even says the line i expected too much of you um so he has this attachment to stick and so stick mm-hmm. decides to cut it off Yeah, I mean, basically mirroring everything he said about how Matt has needed to cut loose all his ties to, you know, the people he cares about. And, you know, you after that flashback, we transitioned back to the present where we're at Matt's apartment and Stick's already waiting. Uh, You talked about these father issues. Um, Stick clearly states it when he says, you wanted a father, I wanted a warrior. And Matt says, I guess we're both disappointed. Right. Well, and it's an interesting conversation here because you mentioned how cordial the conversation mm-hmm. got you know i share a beer and, and they're kind of chatting back and forth um matt you know you lied he's like oh, everybody lies or, or just some some effect of that uh that, that led to that you know this disappointment um in each other um and i think here's where matt finds out that stick killed uh, yes. a black sky and that's what ultimately leads to their confrontation because Matt says something to the effect of like, I'm not going to let you get away with this or I'm not going to let you leave or something like that. And Stick responds like, oh, I already killed Black Sky. I caught up with him and, and, and ended him. And then they immediately start getting into their, I guess, third fight, second fight in this episode. Second in the apartment. Yeah. Second in the apartment. Fourth, if you want to count the training. Yeah. This might be nothing. But I will say, as the fight progressed and everything's being torn down, it, it almost felt like it was mirroring that training room they had. There was something about the two rooms that felt very familiar to each other. Right. Well, and I liked how the fights in the apartment, you know, well, like you said, mirrored the training, but in that they all progressed, mm-hmm. right? You get a little bit of training. We show Matt's kind of gone beyond the training. He can get out of that hold. You see some more training um, where Matt is, little Matt is kind of on par with Stick. And then you get to here where they're really, it is not, you know, two equals in terms of relationship fighting. It is, we're, we're seriously at an odds and now fighting and it, and it gets ramped up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, Matt has that devastating flip where he just lands on Stick's back off the, uh, off like the the stairs landing off the stairs yeah yeah that was brutal yeah yeah and because i mean I st- yeah. stick even replies like well hey maybe there's hope for you yet right which is which is still interesting to, to have to see that myopic look of stick you know of you need to be a killer you know or or for in his words that's like a warrior but you need to not take those half measures and you know i mean uh we do get a scene in between this but i'll just go ahead and, and jump ahead and, and combine these two discussions since they really play into each other 
Um, you know, eventually we get to this point where Matt's picking up in his apartment after Stick has left, and he discovers that after all these years, Stick has kept on to that ice cream wrapper. I really do like this idea of Matt confronting his problematic past and still yearning for that father figure via Stick. I just, it, like we said, with the, the, the cordial relationship, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of that, and that would have made this more impactful for me. Well, I like that he still kept it in that, well, I mentioned, like, there's this assumption that Matt got attached, so Stick left. But the fact that he kept the rapper, mm -hmm. you know, we realize that, no, Stick is the one that got attached and left, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I mean, yes, yeah. Matt got, little Matt got attached, but Stick, out of the, his own fear of attachment to, to, to little Matt, you know, decided I have to leave because he's not staying true to what... um he's preaching in that d detachment. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I liked how very slowly the piano playing in the background was uh, the daredevil theme from the opening credits. Yeah. You know, it, j it just gave me the sense of like, it was slow. And, and so it gave you kind of the sense that, you know, it was a somber moment um, as Matt has this realization. Uh, but also it, it kind of gave me the feeling of like daredevil mm -hmm. uh, one. Yeah. It's, it's like I think somber is a great way to put it because just the the slow leaning up against the couch from uh, with Daredevil. I mean Charlie Cox just does a really good job of of hammering home the emotional effect of this scene. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did mention there was a inner a scene in between these two moments, so we can jump back to that just real quick. Uh, you know Karen and Foggy arrive at Ben's office. Uh, ben is upset that Karen has enlisted the help of Foggy, uh, but Karen vouches for his trustworthiness and they begin detailing all that they know about the Union Allied case to Foggy. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Karen mentioned he's a kick-ass attorney and my thought was, shouldn't the newspaper have its own attorneys? <laughs> That's, you know, and you know, because we, we talked a little bit about that, but you just kind of triggered something in my head too. A kick-ass attorney that she didn't even consult whenever she went up to Union Allied to get the non-disclosure agreement. I know, right? Like, like <laughs> it's so awesome that I'm not going to consult you when you <laughs> when I need to do legal things. <laughs> oh man, it it really is like they don't know what to do with them anymore. You know what? And I hate that because the foggy Nelson character I love. And I do think there's a lot of good scenes for him mm -hmm. that we've had and that are coming that he shows up in the, in the other uh, seasons and whatnot. So, but yeah, it was just, it was just kind of, you know, weird. And then the other thing I found weird about the scene is Ben said, I told you not to tell anybody else, but he actually also told her we're not going to meet again at the office. Yeah. That's a good catch. You know, and, and they showed up at the office, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I didn't mention it, but when Karen was with Mrs. Cardenas, uh, my first note was Karen's really bad at keeping secrets because I think she even involves Mrs. Cardenas in what she's trying to do. And now she's involved Foggy and she's shown up at Ben's office. Right. Yeah, I can't imagine. It, like, it's understandable how frustrated Ben is right. in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, and we know you can trust Foggy, but Ben doesn't necessarily know that. Mm -hmm. uh, we also know Ben is worried about... Um, himself and Karen getting hurt mm -hmm. uh but also he has a genuine care of like i don't want people to get hurt good people to get hurt for my story mm -hmm. you know and, and and so i can see why i you know you got to keep that number limited yeah now in this scene i did find a mistake so when he pinned the jack 
the card representing Daredevil the and it had the jack with the blindfold on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this part was a mistake. There was already two holes punched in the card, and that I'm not sure if that was a mistake when he punched it on there, but he punched it in with a silver thumbtack, and they cut away, and he has some line about which one trumps the other or something, or they weren't quite clear on if the man in the mask was working for Fisk or not. Um, but when they cut back to that mm-hmm. close-up, the thumbtack was a red thumbtack instead of a silver one. <laughs> That's another good catch. You know, it, we talked about it a little bit last episode where I said I wish I knew more about cards so that I could understand TV and film. I I, I came into this knowing I was going to ask you, you know, they have that line where it's like, so clearly Man in Black Mask and Fisk are against each other, but which one trumps the other? And then he pins the card next to it. I, again, I don't know enough about cards, but doesn't Jack always trump King? I mean, King always trump Jack? Yes, King always trumps Jack. So well, it, you know it, what? It, and they could have actually made it like put two kings up there in different suits. And then you could have got into yeah. this is one suit higher than the other. Um, but no, yeah. Yeah, King, it's, it's King Beach Jack. And it's so funny because we praised last episode about how it's such a great visual metaphor to to without even having to say a word, detail everything he knows. And then the moment where he actually starts to have using words, it all starts falling apart and they lose their their visual metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> they should have just left it silent. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. That that's gonna be whenever whatever we do in between Daredevil seasons, I just need to commit to learning cards. Okay. It's on. We're we're gonna we're gonna learn cards. Awesome. Yeah, oh, actually, you know, I just thought of this point. I didn't write this down, but you 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 kind of um brought it up for me. You know, you talked about how like it's a shame that we're kind of getting these maybe meandering is the right word, um, plot lines with Foggy and how it you know, you know how he gets utilized in future seasons and you really like it. Um, I think in an episode or two ago, I made mention that I liked that we were getting this case with Mrs. Cardenas because it, it really centered on Foggy taking front and center and they were giving him something to do. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting mm-hmm. that we get to this point where it feels meandering, where Foggy has been replaced with the Mrs. Cardenas plotline and now it's Karen that's in that role. Um mm-hmm. I, yeah. I wonder if that kind of plays into why things feel disjointed as they kind of like cross their their narrative lines here yeah it's it's just some that's some weird weird maybe interesting choices yeah uh, that they've done with those two characters mm-hmm. so for the last scene of the episode we get this very ominous shot where stick is detailing the success of his mission to a mysterious figure and the figure begins to question about the status of matt and whether he'll be ready when the doors open stick responds by saying he has no idea yeah. Um, I remember when that first came out, uh, everybody said that that was a reference to a character named Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the comic, Stone was a pupil of Stick, um, and they were both part of this organization called the Chaste. I don't remember if he shows up again or is paid off in any kind of way. Well, yeah, I don't remember fully. I have an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, it's it is a clear reference to the hand and something bigger. Yeah, you know, I because I think I even texted you. Um, it, I forgot that Stick brought so much of this supernatural element to the show. Yeah, 
Um, and so that that felt a little. Well, I mean, I think you summed it up perfectly. Like calling up to the MCU proper is the way Thor's side plot in Age of Ultron was just kind of um, feels like an odd detour that they take right here in the middle of the season of uh, Daredevil. Right. Well, and it's. I mean, I can tell you, it is setting up other things down the mm-hmm. line. Um, if you want to, if you want to take, say, Netflix itself as a universe it is laying the seeds for other things yeah yeah so you know yeah i agree that it definitely has that feeling of setting up for more to come but i it almost feels as though instead of in avengers having that thanos in tag at the end after the credits if you just had it randomly in the middle of the movie yeah i can see that because mm-hmm. if it was at the end, you have that teaser and looking forward to what's to come. And here, I, well, I mean, here you do. It's almost like that teaser of what's to come. And I don't think it gets paid off. Yeah. Or at least, I mean, in this season where at mid-season, something like that, you'd expect to get paid off. Mm-hmm. Again, I've only seen, I've mentioned, I've only seen season one and four episodes of season two. And so... I guess I'm trying to preemptively track like how these storylines could play off in one and a half seasons, but I forget, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but I I think there's two seasons of the defenders, right? Where Matt, I'm sure. No, there's only one season. There's only one season defender. Okay. Well then there's still other, other, there's still that season for it to be explored as well. I don't know if that's the case, but I need to stop judging it from the, like that, you know, limited space that they have, uh, story-wise. No, and, and I get that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that is it for season one, episode seven. Uh, do you have any overall final thoughts? Uh, I, I'm just going to say this is a good episode and you should like it. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I To that point, no, I, I, it, I do like that this is the first time I think we've disagreed with an episode. Yeah, it is. I think it is. Um, man, yeah, I think it is. Uh, no, I, I do like this episode. I liked... Uh, the explanation of I like the explanation of Matt's abilities, mm-hmm. you know, and and giving and fleshing out that background because uh, we never really got how he was able to do the things he does. Uh, so I do, I very much like that. I, I see your points on lacking that true test to mm-hmm. a rule that we finally established yeah. for this character. Uh, I think for me, uh, my overall thoughts about this episode, uh, you know, we spoke so highly about how, for the most part, episode one through four were very economical and great at doing what they were doing story-wise. And it it really feels like here in this middle section of the season, we're hitting some rocky roads. And um, it it ultimately kind of makes this episode feel a little like padding. Um, and I we've, we've had this discussion before, but I, I wonder if we're doing this show almost a disservice by watching it on a week to week basis um, because we, you know, we talked about that AB cadence and I, I look forward to tracking how well the Disney plus shows handle this uh, when it's not relying on dropping all at once. Um, Right. I, I do feel like this does have an AB cadence mm -hmm. though. Like I, I watched ahead just a little bit. So I do feel like it has kind of an AB cadence here with this, with the next episode. I don't know. I'll keep my hopes up. I won't. I'll try not to be so overly negative on this one until we see. B. Did, did you not? Did you not watch ahead at all? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I'm watching okay. it week to week. <laughs> all right. 
right. Well, sometimes you watch, sometimes you jump in. So that's. It's, well, if, it's only if I can't find my remote and the intro starts playing. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, you're familiar. We're seven episodes into this podcast now. We do have our question of the week. So without further ado, uh, here's this week. Jude, which reveal or twist in the MCU had the biggest impact on you? The I'm assuming, I was about to say this, let me just say this, spoilers for anybody who have not seen these movies. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I think we've made in other episodes some clarifications that we assume you've seen these movies up to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine the type of person looking for uh, MCU podcasts is caught up to date. Once once we start getting to territory where new stuff has arrived, we'll definitely have to keep hammering home. Then, then yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say the reveal of the vulture. Oh, uh, being the father. That one. That one's my number one. That is a really good one. I I'm actually ashamed. I kind of forgot about that. Cause I that was one I did not see coming, and and mm-hmm. it was just like, and really caught me off guard. Yeah, like I I remember being in the seat and like my heart just dropping. Yeah. At that well, point. Well, and because you know you're on a prom date, and you know he's trying to be a normal kid and i just felt so bad for him of like you couldn't have that normalcy and that's peter parker in a nutshell it is is, it's like everything that we love about spider-man is that how was the way i think the people that developed the ps4 spider-man game put it perfectly where they said peter parker is constantly juggling as many plates as he can and trying not to let them fall and that scene felt like that because like he was finally kind of breaking away from the superhero life and it all just came crashing down outside of his his control. Oh, yeah. And the awkward moments of the photos there where he was just mm-hmm. just had that look on his face. It was fantastic. Dang. I yeah, I can't, I'm ashamed. I forgot that. That kind of makes me want to re- reevaluate mine. <laughs> but uh, all right. So what is what is yours? Yeah, I'll just go with mine. So, again, I know Captain America fanboy. Mine comes from Captain America Winter Soldier. And I will I'll, I want to preface it by saying, you know, it wasn't until I think after Avengers and into Captain America Winter Soldier where I started like really getting to the point of like, okay, I'm 100% into this. Uh-huh. So I didn't know who the Winter Soldier was going in. Like I had no comic book knowledge. I had seen Captain America, the first Avenger. But I hadn't seen it in close proximity to the sequel. Really? Okay. Yeah. I hadn't seen it in close proximity to the sequel that I kind of completely forgot a lot of the details. So when it eventually gets to the point where it reveals the uh, the Winter Soldier is Bucky, that got me. Specifically because like I'm also the kind of person that like doesn't try and jump ahead to like piece together mm-hmm. mysteries or something like that. I like just letting it unfold as it happens. Yeah. So that moment that it happened, I was like, like it like it was that effective for me. You know what? I find that interesting because, um, uh, Spider-Man far from home mm-hmm. brought my kids to see it and the reveal of Mysterio being the bad guy, which I knew was about to happen. Right. Um, and I was just curious of how they were going to do it mm-hmm. from comics. Um, it will from two things from comics and basic movie vocabulary, uh, but the shock on their face of like, oh, that is the bad guy, you know, because <laughs> uh, they had no idea, you yeah. know, or even talking to some of my students who were not familiar with the comics, but didn't know. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Like it, like it's it's a similar thing with Winter Soldier, and it just never dawned on me till you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it 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 feels special. Like it's like you know how they're they're like I actually know somebody that watched Thor Ragnarok having no idea that the Hulk was in it because they didn't see any trailers whatsoever. So when it got to that point, like that's a special moment for them that they very few people got to experience. And this kind of feels like my own version of that, which is cool. And we might have to have, we might have to have the trailer conversation. That would be a fun episode. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because like I, Age of Ultron, I think we could talk about at least for a podcast episode, um, their expectations versus what we got. So do you, do you have a second? I, I just thought of one. Um, and I can't even fully articulate why it was so impactful for me. I just remember like it, it was in infinity war. Whenever we get to the point where Thanos and Gamora, uh, arrive at the soul stone location and I'm embarrassed. I can't think of the planet name. Uh, Vormir. Vormir. Whenever they arrive on Vormir, and we have this big reveal that the Red Skull is this, you know, guardian of the Soul Stone. Yeah. It, it was just, I guess it was the first hint to what was to come with Endgame, the way Endgame wrapped up the entire 10 years. It felt like this is one of those first moments like, okay, everything is coming together now uh-huh. when you're having Red Skull coming back into the conversation. Yeah. No, no, no. And, and I remember that and, and kind of having that feeling that, Oh wow. Feeling and, and having the audience there uh, with that moment. Um, for me, the second one was when vision picked up uh, the hammer. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember seeing that with my dad opening night full theater and everybody gasped. Yes. Same here. So, so yeah, that would be my number two. And, you know, it's so funny. I will constantly cite that moment as one of, well, not anymore because of Endgame, but as one of the best movie-going experiences I had because the energy around me, the the way that everybody was like, <gasps> like that everybody was so caught off guard by it. Yeah. But I, I it's funny that that didn't come to mind whenever I thought about like the big reveals yeah. having impact. Uh, yeah. I, uh, do you? Part of me wanted to say the Captain America with the hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh the thing about that one was in a, in a way it felt like it should have happened and I'm glad it happened. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. it didn't have, it didn't have the, the same impact as when vision did it. Yeah. I don't want to undercut it, but like, I think we all knew it was coming. Like it, it, it was an ex- expected thing and it doesn't take away. Cause I think that might be my, one of my favorite all time favorite moments in the MCU but it it was it didn't feel like a reveal. It was like, yes, this just makes sense. No, yeah, finally, finally, this it, we got what we wanted to see, mm-hmm. right? And and I still, I think on our pilot episode or episode or the bonus episode or episode one, um, still naming conventions, um, <laughs> <laughs> like like I saw that moment again, and it was like, oh, I still had that same feeling, mm-hmm. you know. But the vision one truly came out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. You were talking about referencing how, you know, you still got all, you know, excited and, and emotional and want rewatching Endgame. I think I I texted you to this morning when it happened and I, I framed it as I don't know how else to describe it because this doesn't feel the right way. But I think I hit a new low. I was listening to a podcast where they just described that scene where, you know, cap and the hammer and then the portals where everybody shows up. And I started getting emotional. 
Like I was at work, <laughs> I was like, I was weed eating, and I was just like, oh, I'm so glad that I have my glasses on because I'm welling up with tears right now. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think that's a low. I don't think that's a low. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but that's that's how much the MCU means to me. <laughs> Yeah, no, not definitely not a low. Yeah. But of course, if you'd like to chime in with the question of the week, or if you'd like to chime in with the episode discussion of episode seven of Daredevil, you can reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter or at MCU Need to Know on Instagram. Or if you'd like to write an email, MCU Need to Know at gmail.com. And if you would like, please take the time to give us a review and rate us on any platform that you're listening to. That really helps us out. Uh, in terms of growing our audience thank you and please share with a friend yeah seriously to take the time to say thank you for everybody that's been listening um we've been monitoring the reception on the back end and it we're we're both excited with the way this has been uh oh yeah yeah it's been very encouraging Mm -hmm. yeah so thank you and special thanks to nick sandy for the use and rendition of our theme song uh we are very happy with it and yeah Until next time, thank you so much for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. Um, and then I noticed a mistake in their editing. What? So, uh, when he goes to put the jack on the board, there's already two pin Uh uh, pinholes in the card. Mm -hmm. Um, and he puts it up with a silver thumbtack, and then they cut back to them for that line, which trumped which trumps the other and they cut back to the cards and then it's a red thumbtack. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know if the two pinhole prior pinholes was a mistake, but the, clearly the thumbtacks changes. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's his wife. Okay. Did you hear? I heard something. Why is the what? Why is the door shut? (laughs) That's one way to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (sighs) She slowly backed out. Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's totally your call, but that already feels like an in tag. With um, Uh, I'm going to mark that. Uh, I'm going to write that down real quick. Oh man! Why is the door closed? <laughs> so hopefully she was loud enough that that comes across. <laughs>